May thy abiding mercy, O Lord, cleanse and strengthen thy church. And since without thee she cannot exist in safety, let her be ever guided by thy grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear brethren, the collect of today's Mass cannot be more opportune in the light of the sins, the scandals that beset the church today. We have a forthcoming synod on synodality, which promises or threatens to open a Pandora's box of evil within the church, pushing to accept homosexual relationships, blessing them even, threatening the prospect of the female diaconate as a step to the female priesthood, increasing the openness to syncretism, to religious liberty, turning the church upside down and making it a democracy or have the semblance of a democracy. In actual fact, it will simply become the instrument of the new world order, pushing the agenda of the world. Let us look at this collect in the light of doctrine. May thy abiding mercy, O Lord, cleanse and strengthen thy church. Here the cleansing of the church refers to the justification of the men of the church. And the strengthening of the church refers to the growth in grace of the members of the church. So may thy abiding mercy cleanse and strengthen thy church. Now, mercy is one of the words we hear very often today, and it is used incorrectly. Ultimately, it is used to condone sin. Instead of requiring of sinners that they convert, turn themselves back to Christ, order themselves once again to God, there is the false notion that mercy accepts the sinners as they are. It does not call them to conversion. Our conversion or our justification, our cleansing, is wrought by Christ. And it is wrought specifically by his sacrifice on Calvary. The object of redemption. I've spoken about this many times before. Our blessed Lord joined himself to human nature, came down upon earth. He came to redeem man from hell and sin and teach him the way to heaven. Now, our blessed Lord did enough. He only had to move his little finger to do enough because all his acts had infinite value. He did enough to redeem all the world of its sin. But for souls to benefit from his redemption, they had to turn to him. They had to draw down the merits of his infinite act of reparation upon themselves. Or another way of saying it is they had to participate in his redemptive act. They had to join themselves to Christ, Redeemer. They have to insert themselves into the sacrifice that Christ offered on the cross. And the Mass is the place to do this. In the Mass, you are able to participate, take a part in that redemptive act which is brought here present by the Mass. Now, God insisted that justice be satisfied. The world had to be turned back to him. It was necessary. Souls couldn't be left to go in their own directions. If he loved the world, he wanted the world to turn back. He demanded justice, which means the turning of back of man to God. 
But in his mercy that followed that justice, he made it possible for us. Because by ourselves, we could never have turned to God. He made it possible to us. So his mercy was consequent to his justice. Mercy follows justice. You cannot have mercy without justice beforehand. Mercy is alleviating the claims of justice. So may thy abiding mercy cleanse and redeem us and strengthen thy church. Without thee, she cannot exist in safety. Now the church without God is nothing. It's just a very shaky human institution stacked with sinners. But Hilaire Belloc said, if the church wasn't of God, it wouldn't last two weeks. I think he's, he's absolutely right. So may thy abiding mercy cleanse and strengthen thy church. For without thee, she cannot exist in safety. Let her be ever guided by thy grace. May her members be in a state of grace. That means justified and full of the supernatural virtues and gifts of the Holy Ghost. That is the prayer of the collect. Now, the modern problem is that instead of justice being demanded by God and mercy alleviates the claims of justice, the modern notion of justice is that it eclipses or surpasses the need for justice. They are put in opposition. Instead of mercy being a consequence of justice, mercy eclipses justice. It is as if justice, God's justice, is something evil, something that's keeping souls away from God. When the actual definition of justice is being put right, to be just, as the French would say, c'est juste, that means it's right, it's in order. To be just is to be pointed towards God, ordered to God, means also being filled with God. But the modern notion of mercy is that, no, the claims of justice are hard. That law, the church's laws, are discriminatory. They put barriers up. They are a deterrent, stopping souls going to God. This is the modern idea of mercy and justice. Justice is bad. Justice is law. Law is bad. Therefore, justice is bad. And mercy, God's mercy... That alleviates all the need for this justice and the need for laws. Have confidence in God's mercy and then you can do as you wish. Popular. It's a popular doctrine, but it's wrong. God's mercy does not extend to those who continue in their sinful lives. Those who do not repent can never receive God's mercy. And that is what's not understood in the church today. In 2015, there was a bull promulgated by Pope Francis called Misericordiae Verbum, the word of mercy. And in this bull, we read paragraph four, referring back to the council, the Second Vatican Council. With the council, the church entered a new phase of her history. The council fathers strongly perceived as a, a true breath of the Holy Spirit, a need to talk about God to men and women of their time, in a more accessible way. The walls, which for too long had made the church a kind of fortress, were torn down, and the time had come to proclaim the gospel in a new way. Now, the thing is, the walls that made the church into the fortress were the walls of doctrine, truth, and the laws of the church, the discipline of the church. 
And these walls were like the fence around the sheep pen to stop the wolves entering the sheep pen to devour the sheep. The walls, the fortress of the church is there to protect the souls within the church, not to keep people out. In fact, the church beckons them in. And the audacity to say that the church had walls to keep people out when the missionary activity of the church before the council was spreading the faith throughout the world in an extraordinary way. And as soon as the council came, oh, we don't, we don't try and convert anybody else. Everybody is saved. Every church has truths within it, and we should praise them. And so no need to convert anybody. They're all God's children. The irony is they accused the traditional church of keeping people out when it was much more missionary. And now they say there's no need to enter the church. And they're saying here, we've got to tear the, the walls down so that we can preach. They're preaching to nobody now. They're preaching a message which, on the surface, it's popular. You're all saved. But it's false. It's not true. It doesn't work. It certainly, you look at church attendance, it doesn't work. The ball continues. A wave of affection and admiration flowed from the council over the modern world of humanity. Errors were condemned indeed, because charity demanded this no less than did truth. But for individuals themselves, there was only admonition, respect and love. Instead of depressing diagnoses, Encouraging remedies, instead of direful predictions, messages of trust issued from the council to the present day world. The modern world's values were not only respected, but honored. Its efforts approved, its aspirations purified and blessed. This is, this is actually the closing speech of Pope Paul VI in the council, which is cited in this papal bull. So, Read that again. The modern world's values were not only respected but honoured. Its efforts approved. Its aspirations purified and blessed. Now, the world's values, as we know, are the, the values of the culture of death. In every town, in what used to be Christendom, there are abortion mills killing children as fast as they can, as cheaply as they can. Woe betide anybody who protests against this production line of death. Pornography, immodesty, the corruption of the innocence of children, these are now required by law. This is the culture of death. These values are not to be respected or honoured. And yet, this false notion of mercy, which embraces everyone and their sins, would have the church become the simply the instrument of this new world order which promotes the culture of death. The bull continues. There is an aspect of mercy that goes beyond the confines of the church. It relates us to Judaism and Islam, both of which consider mercy to be one of God's most important attributes. Among the privileged names that Islam attributes to the Creator are merciful and kind, this invocation is often on the lips of faithful Muslims who feel themselves accompanied and sustained by mercy in their daily weakness. They too believe that no one can place a limit on divine mercy because its doors are always open. 
So this is equating, this is saying that the Jews and the Muslims appeal to the mercy of God. Maybe this false notion of mercy, maybe, but not the true mercy of God. The true mercy of God is the sacrifice on Calvary. The true mercy of God is the church that is founded with all the instruments of sanctification. That's the mercy of God. And both the Jews and the Muslims, they do not recognize this. In fact, they detest the idea of the sacrifice of Calvary. They detest the church. We cannot say that they embrace God's mercy when they reject it wholesale. Furthermore, as I always say, there's no distinction between natural and supernatural post-Vatican II. And so the cleansing of man, the justification of man by God, mentions no hint of elevation to the supernatural order. To be just is to be in a state of grace, which means to be sharing in the life of God, means being a member of his mystical body. To the world, that doesn't exist. To the world, mercy is, as I said, accepting sinners. Amoris Laetitiae. Somebody living in adultery or in an adulterous relationship can accede to Holy Communion if they go through a pathway of discernment. So basically, they clear their own consciences. They make themselves at peace with their sin. Then they can come to Holy Communion. And that's considered merciful. No, it's not. It's hatred. It is fixing a soul in their life of sin and making them commit sacrilege every time they come to the communion rail. That's not merciful at all. In the gospel today, we hear of the miracle of the resurrection of the son of the widow of Naim. And he said, young man, I say to thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Now, the miracle was impelled by mercy. God had mercy upon the widow and upon the mourners. But the wonder lies in the actual act of bringing the dead back to life. This is St. Augustine who says this. The same for the justification of man. The act of justification is impelled by mercy. God had mercy on us who needed to be justified. But the wonder lies in the return of man from spiritual death to spiritual life. Would the conciliar church understand this? This is the mercy of God, bringing souls back to spiritual life, not condoning their sin, not trying to make everybody happy. And you can't make people happy without uniting them to God. So, my dear brethren, let us ask the grace during this Mass. Pray the collect. May thy abiding mercy, O Lord, cleanse and strengthen thy church, thy members of the church. And since without thee she cannot exist in safety, let her be ever guided by thy grace. May the hierarchy be guided by God's grace. Return to their senses, return to their understanding of the doctrine handed down by their predecessors across the centuries. And may we also be cleansed and strengthened and guided. We make this prayer through the Blessed Virgin Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.